Welcome to the 136th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. In Ear to the Ground 103, we featured innovative research being done in Iowa, where researchers are growing strips and patches of native prairie on steep hillsides amongst corn and soybean plantings. The research is being coordinated by Iowa State University's Leopold Center for Sustainable Agriculture and is taking place at Neil Smith National Wildlife Refuge in central Iowa. Since 2007, researchers have been measuring what environmental impacts these patches of perennial prairies are having. Scientists are carefully measuring soil and nutrient loss, as well as whether this natural habitat is increasing the presence of birds and pollinating insects. The results have been quite striking. Planting just 10 to 20 percent of a crop field to prairie has consistently resulted in a 90 percent drop in the amount of soil, nitrogen, and phosphorus that is lost from the field. In addition, numerous grassland birds and pollinator insects are utilizing the prairie strips. Perhaps what is most surprising is that these environmental benefits are being produced on fields planted to corn and soybeans utilizing a 100 percent no-till conservation system. Side-by-side comparisons show that while the no-till system reduces runoff on its own, Integrating just a small bit of prairie produces a tremendous amount of extra environmental benefits. I saw firsthand how flues that capture eroding soil at the bottom of the testing area must be regularly cleaned out with shovels under the no-till system that has no prairie plantings. The flues below prairie strips, however, remain quite clean. This research is exciting for a couple of reasons. One, it shows that we can get major environmental benefits from planting perennials on just a relatively small portion of a field of annual row crops. We don't have to return every last farm field to 100% prairie to enjoy significant ecological benefits. In addition, this research has shown that multiple benefits can be derived from such plantings, including increased wildlife and pollinator habitat and developing a healthier water cycle. I recorded my first podcast on the site of the Prairie Strips research in 2011. In 2013, I returned to see how the research was progressing and to talk to participants in the project about whether it was practical to get such a system established widely on working farms in the Midwest. First, I chatted with Matt Helmers, an Iowa State University agricultural engineer who is coordinating the research project. He talked about the economics of prairie strips and how they could be integrated with other conservation measures through a systems approach. Yeah, we've been looking at uh, some colleagues, John Tyndall, that's a natural resource economist at Iowa State, has been looking at it, and we estimated it's, a, it's about $40 per treated acre, so $40 per um, not only the, the prairie upland area when we consider that, um, but and so about $40 a treated acre per year, but uh, that's probably in the range of cover crops, maybe slightly less. And then also, uh, if we equate it to linear per linear foot of the prairie strip, it's about 23 cents uh, a linear foot, which is a lot less than terraces. So from a structural practice perspective, it's a lot less costly, uh, may provide a lot of additional benefits beyond what maybe a terrace would, uh, at least on slopes where this is working. If we get to some of the steeper slopes, maybe above 10%, those we probably need something like a terrace. But when we're in that, uh, you know, 2 to 10% slope, we think these prairie strips can be very effective. Well, and one of the things you pointed out, too, is that it's important to keep in mind that this is, you're, you're still having some infield erosion here, and you're, you're reducing the amount of sediment, for example, that's leaving the field, but 
this is not the end all. The ideal, it sounds like it would be ideal to have this integrated amongst some other conservation practices. You bet. We really need a uh, systems approach and think about how we protect that land all the way from the top of the slope to the bottom. And, you know, a strip mid-slope and at the foot-slope position can help us keep sediment from getting to the stream, but it doesn't really help us with some of the infield erosion. And so there we need to be th- doing things like no-till or or a cover or an addition to a cover crop um, and I think all those things can help us reduce the amount of soil that gets to that prairie strip um, so that the prairie strip is in kind of a polisher or emergency emergency treatment rather than primary treatment for the field. Now I know you're starting to bring more farmers out here you're working with Gary here who's doing the farming and he's a no-till farmer and obviously very concerned about soil erosion. As you talk to farmers about the this kind of treatment, what are some of the questions they're having as far as maybe that would help us figure out how to better, how to make this more attractive to farmers out there uh, in the real world? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's really what we're, you know, a lot of what we're looking at now. I mean, obviously they want to know about some of the economics, but beyond that, how do I plant it? How do I, how it, should it be designed? Uh, what are the maintenance requirements going to be? What can I expect for, you know, what what is it going to look like through time? And so actually we have projects that are trying to to help answer those questions or put uh, put information down on paper that can help farmers. We want to make it so that it's as straightforward as possible if they want to do this, uh, give them information about what uh, federal programs or state cost share programs might be available in certain areas uh, because we, at least for some of the early adopters, that may be a real a mechanism that they can use to help offset some of the expenses of it. It sounds like I know you've got one farmer who's doing it on his own down in the southern part of the state, and it sounds like you're going to try to put in some treatments uh, with some other farmers around the state? Yeah, we're looking at uh, central Iowa, east central Iowa, northwest Iowa, where we want to get some some uh, demonstrations on the land. We have uh, have this site at the Neil Smith National Wildlife Refuge. Serves as a great site to bring people to, but we also want to take it out and get it closer to uh, landowners in Iowa and, and surrounding states uh, so that they can come out and see it on producers' fields, talk to that producer with how they've made it work, uh, what do they see as some of the benefits, because we can talk about the benefits, but really if we can have a, a producer talk about what they've seen as the benefits, I think that that's that's the way we can start to get uh, more adoption of the practice. As an ag engineer, are you starting to see with, it seems like with these more intense storm events and some other issues, are we running kind of running up against the limits of some of the conservation methods that were really considered cutting edge, you know, uh, and even things like no-till? Are we starting to run, kind of bump up against what they can handle in this day and age? I think we are. You know, that we've done no-till down here since 2007 um, at the, the, the Neil Smith National Wildlife Refuge on our watersheds, and we've seen substantial ephemeral gully erosion down those, those fall lines. And this is under no-till, and it really highlights the need to... to uh, incorporate a whole suite of conservation practices and and you know probably not we'll do this one thing to the field and that's enough we really need to think about how we protect it and and be prepared for these extreme events because we certainly as we look at 2008 2010 and now 2013 um, you know that's that's three years out of the last uh, handful of years that we've seen uh, extreme events in the spring of the year, and so we need to be um, have our fields prepared for those type of precipitation events. It certainly seems like since we've been doing this work on soil erosion down here, we've seen a lot of 
a lot of big events, a lot of multiple inch rains in uh, a few hour time span, and that's going to kind of lead to some runoff and erosion. And so we we do need to to think about um, uh, preparing for those extreme events rather than just preparing for the average, because um, a lot of these practices perform well on average, but that but when we see a lot of our soil losses from that extreme event, and so we need to kind of I think design and be prepared for some of those bigger events. Pauline Drobny is a prairie biologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service who is working on the Prairie Strips project. She says while a few acres of strategically planted prairie isn't a return to the sea of grass that dominated the mid part of the country in days gone by, this project shows that some significant landscape level benefits can result from this targeted conservation. The reason we have farmland in Iowa, for example, is because of these thousands of years of occupation of tall grass prairie that developed this deep, black, rich soil. And so it seems to me to be the perfect sort of thing in some ways. You could think of uh, prairie as the the, uh, landscape of the farmer. I mean, it's the ecosystem of the farmer. And, And despite the fact that farming is what has taken it out of existence largely. Now bringing this back into it is um, in many ways healing. It's healing to, when I say that, what I think about is it holds the soil on, on the landscape. It holds the, the, the nutrients that are used in farming, but it goes beyond that. Um, um, as the water moves through the system, it cleans it up. And we know that if water just runs down a vegetated uh, waterway, it will be metabolized, the, the, the nitrates will be metabolized before it reaches the stream. If you have a strip of prairie vegetation, certainly there's some of those same kinds of processes that can help metabolize that, those nitrates and clean the water. It also, I think about what is the cost of clean water? What is the cost of having water uh, to drink? from a city or in the country. I live out in the country and I'm on rural water. What is the cost to society for all of that? What is the cost of having uh, hypoxia in the Gulf of Mexico? That problem originates where I live. It originates in the farmed landscape. And so if we could find ways to strategically locate these strips um, in a way that's beneficial to the farmer, clearly, is beneficial to society. Um, it gives us a, a way, a different way of cleaning our water that it doesn't rely on filters and the chemical treatment, but on, on more, more natural uh, ways of, of doing that, that, that would be just wonderful. Then you have the habitat it provides for the birds. Um, we know that grassland birds, are their, their habitat is... Um, there's much less of it than there there was historically clearly and they're birds that are of con- grassland birds are of conservation concern to the fish and wild on a national level these birds are declining so couldn't this be part of the solution um it won't be all of the solution we need big blocks of grass landscape but this diverse prairie in these strips can provide those birds uh, places some of the birds places to fledge it can provide places for pollinators and uh, for the butterflies the bees it can be a place for a whole host of of invertebrates and other things that um, we we know that we depend on Finally, I talked to Gary Van Ryswijk, a local crop and livestock farmer who's farming the land that has been part of the Prairie Strips research. Gary is a no-till farmer and cares deeply about soil conservation. He concedes he was shocked to see how much runoff was occurring on a field he was no-till farming, 
and how much that runoff dropped when prairie plantings were introduced. Still, he says, there are many barriers to overcome before something like this becomes common on other farms. It's one of them things where that we all think that whenever we have a, you know, a fairly good size rain that we're losing some soil, but not really probably that much. Well, here on the the wildlife refuge, when we had a large four-inch rain, it was huge difference on whether there was prairie or whether there was no prairie. I guess some of the questions that are being raised now that we're seeing the results is, well, how could we get other farmers interested in doing something like this? And you said there's a lot of factors that go into that. It depends on if they own the land or rent it. Some of that, I think, has some really interesting points on how if we're going to see more of this on real farms that we got to kind of get over some barriers that way right it's one of those things where i i actually think it's a really hard time for people to actually do this because of the actual land price being so high and the actual cash rents are so high that it's hard to take five or ten percent out of your actual farm ground just because of that but uh from actually what i've seen it, it would be a really good thing to do i think possibly whenever the corn price drops back down to four dollars uh, that it it won't take as much money out of your pocket to go in and actually do that uh one of the other biggest barriers is that people even like me up until i actually saw how much soil erosion there was most farmers truly really believe that they aren't losing as much as they really are are you are you talking to any of your neighbors or any of your or neighbors uh, showing an interest in doing something like this or is it still on that experimental stage and they're kind of waiting and seeing yeah that there are a few of them who kind of think they might want to but at, right now with the corn and bean price so high they don't think this is the time to take another five or ten percent out of their out of their farm uh, even though I, I do believe more of them realize now that we are losing more soil than what we had uh, originally thought. The Prairie Strips Research in Iowa has a lot of people excited about the possibilities offered by establishing perennial plant systems on relatively small, targeted areas of the farming landscape. In fact, that's one of the goals of the Land Stewardship Project's work in the Chippewa and Root River watersheds in Minnesota. For more on these initiatives, see www.landstewardshipproject.org. For more information on the Prairie Strips Research in Iowa, see www.leopold.iastate.edu and search the keywords Prairie Strips. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.